Good morning, everyone. Ah, Sister Ruth, I think I don't need to say anything. I think you did you you did a good job all by yourself. <laughs> I can just I could just say, let's go home. The word has already been spoken. Good morning again. Ah, it is nerve-wracking, but really a pleasure to be here today. Um, I'm always excited about being in the house of God. And today we're going to continue in our series, The Fruits of the Spirit. We've been talking since the beginning of the year about the different, the different parts of this fruit of the spirit. So today we're going to be looking at self-control. Self-control, not easily angered. And in Galatians, as Sister Ruth read, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 in the NLT, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. As the, as the scripture outlines this fruit of the spirit, there are many parts of the fruit, as it were, but it's one fruit. And it is produced by the Holy Spirit. If we go back in Galatians, it's verses 16 to 21, it says, and bear with me, it says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So according to the scripture, in allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, we will avoid giving in to our sinful nature because that's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So let us establish right now the, the foundation. As, as you notice in the scripture, it's mentioned many times. The producing or the bearing of fruit is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit in us, which is why we're exhorted to submit and let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. The scripture repeatedly says, this is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Be guided by the Spirit. When we're directed by the Spirit, we will, we will avoid. So 
I want us to ask, or I want to ask us, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he produces this fruit in us? Well, first, we have to make ourselves available. We have to intentionally decide to cooperate with, this, with the work of the Spirit in our life. We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us as we pray, and we obey as the Spirit of God leads us. If we are unwilling to change and to grow, or if we do not accept the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit God is not going to force himself upon us. He, we, he will not. He's a gentleman. As pastor and many other pastors always say, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon us. We also listen. The Holy Spirit is a person and this person of the Holy Spirit desires to have a relationship with us. Our all-knowing God desires to inform and to educate and to guide us. And so he speaks to us. And we hear him when we listen during times of prayer, fasting, meditation, study, and the various other disciplines that we practice. For some of us, we will, we will hear a voice, an audible voice. Some of us will get an impression or an image or a vision. Some of us hear from him through the scriptures while we read and so on. But we believe that he's always speaking. If we do not hear him or when we do not hear him, as Richard Foster says in his book, Celebration of Discipline, it's not because he's not speaking, but because there's some block between him and us that's causing us not to hear. And he likens it to a telephone or electric bulb, sorry, an electric bulb. If we flip a switch and the light doesn't come on, it doesn't mean that the bulb's not working. It doesn't mean there's not electricity going to the bulb, but there's something that preventing that is preventing the light from coming on. We also need to obey the spirit. And John Bevere in his book, The Bath of Satan, tells us that obedience produces growth. It is when we obey him that we grow in closeness and intimacy with him and we become more like him. So let us talk about the self-control that I mentioned earlier as a fruit of the spirit. What is the self-control? Well, psychology.com states that self-control or the ability to manage one's impulses, emotions, and behaviors to achieve long-term goals is what separates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom. Interesting. Heather Cherry says, self-control refers to managing your behavior to achieve goals, to improve positive outcomes, and to avoid negative consequences. So a lack of self-control is the inability to restrain one, one's emotions, desires, or impulses. And a lack of self-control can result in undesirable choices and outcomes detrimental to the individual. As the scripture said earlier, if we're not led by the spirit, then many, many, of, many of the behaviors we will practice and exhibit will preclude us or exclude us from inheriting the kingdom of God goes back to the de definition those 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 choices 
um, lead to undesirable and detrimental outcomes. And I want us to go back to our scripture in Galatians and differentiate between self-control and willpower. The scripture tells us that self-control is a fruit of the spirit, but willpower, what willpower is, is the ability to resist short-term temptations and desires to achieve long-term goals. So willpower, or we can call it self-confidence, that is the focus on ourselves and our ability. We decide. We decide what is good for us. We set our own standards. We act upon what we, we think we're capable of doing. We act upon our, in, our abilities and we, we do not invite the Holy Spirit or do not surrender to the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're practicing willpower. We're self-actualizing or we're being a good person. Or as the world would say, we're endeavoring to live our best life. Willpower takes the focus off God and it puts it on us and our ability. And I want us to digress for a minute and think about um, scripture in Genesis, going back to the creation. When God made earth, heaven and earth, he created, he created the land and he created the ocean and there was nothing there, just form. And then he made man. When he made man is when he created the garden, is when the, the, then Adam was there. So Adam was given this garden. God provided for him. God created this being that he intended would rely on him for provision. And we can read about that in Genesis 2, 7 to 9 and verse 16. Now, I want us to know some of the things that self-control will do or achieve in our life. Self-control causes spiritual growth in the believer. Having self-control or self-discipline means that we are diligent in spending time practicing the various spiritual disciplines that, that lead to growth and development. Richard Foster says, in, in celebration of discipline, the mind will always take on an order conforming to the order of whatever it concentrates upon. I thought that was beautifully said. Now, what does that mean? It means that what we focus on, what we think about, it drives our thoughts and ultimately our attitude and our actions, our behavior. Now, do you want to have the best attitude you can have? Do you want to, the scripture tells us that we, we are to have the mind of Christ. And Richard Foster illustrates his points thus. He says, once some friends gave us a loan of their beach house on the Oregon coast. It was a secluded spot where virtually the only building inside was an old lighthouse on the far peninsula and the only visitors were seagulls. The cabin had no telephone and no, had no TV and no telephone. There was a radio, but it didn't work. But there was a record player and two old records, the soundtrack from Oklahoma and Johnny Appleseed. How nice, I thought, one record for the children and one for the adults. 
in the course of a week, I suppose we played those two records some 50 times. For months afterwards, I found myself singing or humming those songs in the shower, in board meetings, in church. I even sang them in my dreams. What happened was simple. Unconsciously, the functioning of my mind began taking on the order of the music, end quote. Now, I know I can identify with this sentiment. I know bits and pieces of perhaps thousands of songs, hundreds at least. When I was growing up, certain types of music was not played in my home. But I heard them when I was out on public transportation or in friend's house or wherever I was. And to this day, some maybe 30 years later, I hear a song and I'm able to sing along with at least a few lines of the song. I'm able to sing along to choruses. I'm able to sing along to a wide range of songs, songs I haven't heard in years, but I heard them grow. I heard them repeatedly years ago. And so many of these songs, I don't even, I don't know the artists. I don't know the names of the song, but parts of the lyrics are still etched in my brain. Now I wanna ask us, well, what if I had been reading and studying the scripture with such diligence and discipline over the years? What an impact those scriptures would have made on my life. Imagine how much further I would be in my spiritual walk. As you listen to me and these stories, I challenge you to examine your life and to see if what you're consuming spiritually, the books, the movies, the entertainment, the friendships you cultivate, the passions you have, how are they changing your life? What form or what, what are they directing your thoughts or behavior towards? I challenge you to intentionally spend your time consuming the things that will bring about that spiritual growth that we all desire. Habits such as consistent Bible reading, Bible study, worship, praise, meditation, fasting, and prayer. Self-control also leads us to control or anger, or to leads us not to become so easily angered. Dictionary.com defines anger as a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure or, as, or hostility. So anger, fury, indignation, rage, all of those imply deep and strong feelings. And they're aroused by injury, injustice, wrong, etc. When we leave or left unchecked, that anger can lead to many things such as hatred, malice, wrath, and envy. Now, let us note that anger is not always a bad thing or a negative. Anger in and of itself is not always a bad thing. It, anger can alert us to injustice and it can spur us into productive action and it can cause us to create positive change. Okay, so if, there, if, 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 if we see issues where somebody is being treated unfairly, something, you know, something's wrong, or righteous anger, 
or anger used in a positive way was persons into action to create change. The scripture, however, warns us of the danger of anger. In James 1, 19 and 20, the New Living Translation says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get anger. So, sorry, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, and don't sin by letting, your, by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry, while you're still angry, for your anger gives a foothold to the devil. And Proverbs 29 and verse 11 tells us, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold, this back, hold it back. So let's take a minute and, and examine these scriptures. What lessons or skills can we learn from the passages? Ephesians says, do not sin by letting your anger control you. So it's not the anger in and of itself that is a sin. The scripture also says, anger gives the devil a foothold. And in giving the devil a foothold, what we do is we give him entrance into our lives. You don't have to open the door wide open. You don't have to invite him in. You give him a foothold. As Pastor Rick in his devotional says, giving Satan a foothold or a little part of your life, he will turn it into a stronghold. Now, thinking about a foothold, a foothold is a it's a secure strategic position from which one can advance. So when the devil has a foothold, he has a strong, secure, he has a secure strategic position from which he can advance. If we think about it in terms of a battle, if the enemy or the opponent gets a foothold, they can catapult themselves to victory. Likewise, if the devil is allowed a foothold, he will come in, make himself comfortable, take over, and can eventually claim victory in our lives. Once he takes over, it becomes extremely difficult for us to regain control of our lives. Our anger controls us when we let it sit and fester and grow into greater, more insidious things. A person who acts out in anger says and do, does things that they regret and cannot undo, such as committing murder, ultimate, the ulti ultimate act that we cannot undo. Acting in anger can have devastating consequences and not just for the angry person. Let's take an instance of road rage, road rage quite common all over, especially in America. In Jamaica too, I'm not sure we call it that in Jamaica, but certainly in Jamaica. But let's take a, let's, let's take a look at an example of road rage. So on a typical day, person A leaves home to go to work, run errands, do whatever it is they're do, they do on the street. So does person B. While on the highway, person A, who is in possession of a firearm, gets angry because person B cuts them off at the exit ramp. Person A then engages in a dangerous pursuit of person B, running through a red light, 
luckily without incident, and then is emboldened to keep going. Righteously indignant person A continues to pursue. This person is disrespectful and they must know they think as they drive along. I am going about my business just following the rules of the road. They must think the only reason I'm here is to get in their way. Not thinking I have every right to be driving on the streets as a law-abiding taxpayer. Finally, person B signals and enters a parking lot. A confrontation ensues in which person B responds when confronted. Chill out. What's your problem? Angry at the response, person A pulls out a firearm, points it at person B, discharges the weapon. Person B falls to the ground, fatally wounded. The police are called, person A is arrested. Now think about this, what started out as an ordinary day, nobody had a plan saying, my anger is going to get a hold of me today. I'm going to lose all control. It started out as an ordinary day. Two people left home intending to return, right? So person A is arrested. What started out as an ordinary day ended very badly for two people. One lost their life with loved ones left behind, confused and mourning, and the other lost their freedom. Person A now has plenty of time to contemplate their actions. In retrospect, they might ask themselves, did I need the weapon? Why was I angry? Why did I lash out? Why did I respond in such a violent manner? They might think, man, that person probably would still be alive if I did not get angry and I did not have this firearm. What a waste, as now I've lost my freedom and there's nothing I can do to restore this person's life. Person A has to live with the fact that their action cost somebody their life. Can you imagine the burden on the conscience? Can you imagine if this person is an unbeliever and does, does, does not know that there is forgiveness and redemption? Can you imagine the life that they lead? That might even lead to even more detrimental consequences. Alcoholism, you know, and on and on. And you get the point I'm trying to make. And on and on and on it goes. What started out as an ordinary day, making one choice, have lifelong repercussions. And not just for us, but for our community, for our society, for the people around us. Because person A, got so angry and reacted instantly, they ended up making a fatal decision, one that could not be retracted. Anger led to murder. Now, might things have turned out differently if person A had not responded immediately in anger? One lesson to learn from this, as the scripture says, is not to react out, to react out of anger. Take some time to calm down and evaluate the situation. When we respond, ask ourselves, did I misread the situation? How did I contribute to this incident or situation? And what can I do to diffuse tensions? How can I prevent myself from reacting angrily? How can I respond to this positively? 
And if this is a personal relationship with somebody you know, you ask, how do I save this relationship from harm or destruction? As Romans 12, 18 tells us, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We should also have in mind our goal when we get angry, and this will help to prevent or mitigate the circumstance from escalating. In 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, the ESV, it says, do you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the, receives the prize? So you run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So again, having a goal in mind, why are we, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we running? Why are we being self-controlled? Why, why are we not reacting out of anger? Another, an example of our goal could be to preserve a relationship or it could be not to tarnish the witness so that God can get glory from the situation. Remember, it is when we're stretched that we grow. We don't grow from situations that don't challenge us or make us uncomfortable. It is when we are in that heated and uncomfortable and unfair and unjust situation that we know what we're made of. And if we give in to what our sinful nature craves, such as justice or revenge, we're not allowing the spirit to work in us. Anger, in addition to being a result of not being self-controlled, is also an enemy of the heart. It hardens our heart against God so that his love does not penetrate our heart. And we are generally not able to, will, to live out his will in our lives. It bears much fruit, as we can see in the story of Absalom. It's a long story. It starts out in, um, in 2 Samuel 13, and it goes all the way to chapter 18 or 19. We're, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to read all of that for you. But let's take a look at the life of Absalom. So Absalom was angry at his father, King David, for not acting when he found out that his son, Absalom's brother, raped Absalom's sister and King David's daughter, Tamar. Absalom brought his sister to live with him in his home and he took care of her. All the while, his anger grew to hatred for Amnon. He plotted for two years after, and, and two years after Amnon had raped Tamar, Absalom had Amnon murdered. That's in 2 Samuel 13, 29 and 30. That didn't satisfy Absalom. After murdering his brother Amnon, 
he then focused his energy on his father, King David. This rage that he, uh, in his rage, directed at his father, it caused David to flee and Absalom pursued him and lost his own life in the process. So we can see that from, from, from this anger that he left unchecked, Absalom left his anger unchecked. It grew to hatred, it grew into unforgiveness, it grew into malice, it, and, and, and so many things. It continued to grow. Killing his brother this still did not satisfy him. Pursuing his father still, I mean, he ultimately pursuing his father didn't satisfy him either. He was not just, just intent on, on getting his throne. He wanted his life. From Absalom, his, from Absalom anger grew his hatred. From Absalom's anger grew hatred for his brother and unforgiveness towards his father for his failure to act and enact justice for his sister Tamar. His resulting actions tore the family apart and led to a war between them where over 20,000 lives were lost. And King David lost two sons, Amnon and Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 18, verse 7, it, it, it um, chronicles the death of Absalom. Had Absalom turned to God and yielded that anger and offense, things would have ended much differently. Another thing we can do to diffuse or not get angry, but to diffuse situation is we can listen. We listen to the person. If there is a misunderstanding, we can employ active listening. So we, we, when we try to understand what the person is, is, is saying, and that means asking questions if we need to, but allowing them to speak, trying to understand the things that are unspoken and how the other persons feel. By listening or using our active listening skills, we will avoid jumping to conclusions. We will avoid overreacting. We'll be, and we'll be better able to handle and control our own emotions. Proverbs 15 verse 1 tells us that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now imagine you're in a heated exchange with someone and instead of reacting in anger, unlike the examples we've seen, you pause, you take a deep breath, and you respond as Christ would with love and kindness. Imagine if this situation was not a one-off incident, but an ongoing situation. I heard this story told years ago, and it's about a believer who had a hostile neighbor. It didn't matter what happened. This lady, this believer did not respond out of anger. She never, she never had a harsh word or rebuked the neighbor for her provocative and disrespectful behavior. She never lost her cool. She never retaliated. This lady's son asked his mother time after time why she put up with this, this neighbor's abuse and disrespect. She did not justify her son, herself to her son. So some time went by and the unreasonable neighbor became a believer. 
Now, when this, when this neighbor got baptized, she asked her neighbor, the one that put up with her all these years, the one that never got into an argument with her, never responded in kind. She asked her to walk with her to the baptism, to her baptism, baptism or baptismal tent. Now, when the neighbor spoke, that's the offensive neighbor, she commended her Christian neighbor for being long-suffering and self-control, not acting out of anger. Now, imagine, let's put ourselves in that situation. Imagine the rejoicing that happened in heaven over both women. Imagine that. The self-control sister who did not tarnish the witness, whose behavior won an unbelieving neighbor. Imagine her reward in heaven. Imagine the, the see the, the fruit that the spirit produced in this neighbor. And imagine the unbelieving neighbor who gained salvation. A win-win situation, win-win situation. That is the work of the spirit producing, producing fruit in our lives. As Christians, we're called to act different than the world. First Peter 3, 9 says that we should not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, it says, repay evil with a blessing because to this you were called so that, so that you may inherit a blessing. And in Luke 6, 33, it asks us if we treat well only those who treat us well and love only those who love us. What good, does, what, what good it does for us. We're no different from the world as that's how the world behaves. We're then challenged in, in, in verse 35 of Luke 6. It says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid because then your reward from heaven will be very great and you truly will be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And as Pastor Eva preached a sermon years ago, some years ago in Texas, we sow what we reap. So if we sow a seed of discord, we reap a harvest of discord. If we sow a seed of evil, we reap a crop of evil. And as everybody who's ever planted, every farmer, gardener, hobbyist knows that one single seed can reap a harvest and should reap a crop. I know I am disappointed if I plant one seed and I get one fruit or I get one item. So the same goes, what we sow spiritually is what we reap. You sow a little bit, you reap a lot. And so if we plant a tiny tomato seed, and we nurture that crop, the conditions are right. We will reap a harvest of tomatoes, too much for one person to consume. We have to share, to give it away, to can it, to, do, to make tomato sauce, whatever it is. Or in my case, I sold one potato slip and I reaped a harvest of 25 pounds of potato. Carefully consider the seed that you plant and weigh the expected outcome of the harvest you desire or the harvest you will get. Now, 
Being self-control takes and builds patience. It is playing the long game as it were. We might occasionally relapse into anger, jealousy, selfish ambition, or drunkenness. All those things, as the scripture told us in the beginning, that those would exclude us from inheriting the kingdom of God. If we pursue them as a lifestyle. Now, as believers, living by the Holy Spirit, such relapses should be rare and become even more rare as we grow in patience and discipline and spiritual maturity. The goal of the kingdom is that we grow our faith and become strong spiritually so that we look more like our Heavenly Father every day. Those believers who are strong are charged and this as as you all know i'm passionate about community this is my plug for the community those believers who are strong are charged to strengthen the weaker ones making us accountable and responsible for each other when we take this counsel to heart we will not only build ourselves but build strong communities the scripture says in romans 15 1 and 2 the new century version we who are strong in faith should help the weak in their weakness and not please only ourselves. But let, it says, let us, let each of us please our neighbors for their good to help them be stronger in their faith. Being self-controlled allows us to be disciplined in our approach and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're, when we are disciplined in spending time with, we should be disciplined in spending time with him, disciplined and deliberate in pursuing those habits or activities that advance our relationship with him and that allows the spirit to produce much fruit in us. As the scripture says, as the scripture describes, we will be like that tree planted by the river. And in my mind, that river is the self-control and that it brings forth much fruit in its season. Thank you.